I'd like to read first in Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, we'll read from verse 5. It says, Abraham took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that he had acquired and the souls that he had obtained in Haran. They went out to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Jehovah appeared to Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built an altar to Jehovah who had appeared to him. And he removed thence towards the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel towards the west and Ai toward the east. And there he built an altar to Jehovah and called on the name of Jehovah. Next chapter and verse 3. And he went, Abraham, he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel, as far as the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar that he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of Jehovah. Then in Exodus, in chapter 16, book of Exodus, chapter 16, chapter 16 and verse 13, came to pass in the evening that quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay round the camp. And when the dew that lay around it was done up, behold, on the face of the wilderness there was something fine, granular, fine as hoarfrost crossed on the ground. And the children of Israel saw it and said one to another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, This is the bread which Jehovah has given you to eat. And Psalm 84, Psalm 84, Psalm 84 and verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, thee in whose heart are the highways. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a wellspring. Ye there they reign, covereth it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each one will appear before God in Zion. And lastly, in the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I do not count have got possession myself, but one thing, forgetting the things behind and stretching out to the things before, I pursue, looking towards the goal for the prize of the calling and high of God in Christ Jesus. I want to speak about four features that are necessary for the Christian journey. First of all, to have an altar. Secondly, to find the food that will maintain me in the Christian journey. Thirdly, that when circumstances may prove difficult 
to find that I'm not diverted from the divine highway. And lastly, but not least, to be on that journey with a heavenly goal kept prominently before us. The Christian journey has a wonderful beginning. And in one sense, it has an even more wonderful finish. Because the finish is not bound by the earth here. The finish of that Christian journey is in the presence of Christ. Not here, but where he is in heaven. And before we start to speak about these features, we need to just make sure that we are all on this Christian journey. We've made a start. And that includes us all, old and young. How does that journey start? I've said it, the start is wonderful. And so it is when the soul comes to appreciate what the Lord Jesus means and what he has done means. And the soul becomes attached to him as a personal saviour. And I trust that I'm speaking to the majority here who have taken that first step on the journey and answered the call of the gospel which was expressed you might say when the Lord Jesus was here when he called persons to come to him the first man I've read of he answered the call what a call it was just put yourself in Abraham's shoes and somehow we're not told how he discerned that God was calling him and whether it was intuitively or not I don't know when we go to Hebrews 11 we're told a little more about it and the two words that the section starts with in Hebrews is by faith. That there was a work of faith in Abraham's soul that responded to the call of God. It says, by faith Abraham being called obeyed. Just as simple as that. I don't know what like the civilization was in Abraham's day, but nothing held him back from responding to the call of God. Yes, it was after his father died in Haran, was it, that he ultimately set forward. But setting forward in that pathway, that pathway of the divine call, he came to a place and it says there he built an altar to Jehovah who had appeared to him. 
One of the most important features of the Christian experience is to have an altar. It's essential that on the Christian journey, if I'm going to be maintained, if any of us are going to be maintained on it, we need to maintain that precious link with God, that precious communion with God. And here's Abraham, set out from circumstances that he'd been accustomed to, sent out on a new venture to become a sojourner in a strange land, and he built an altar. I wonder if each one of us here has built an altar and opened communications with God. How important prayer life is in the Christian's experience. Someone has said, you know, that a man who lives here without prayer is really a man who lives here without God. I think if you think about that, there's something in it. You know, prayer life, how much does it enter in to my Christian journey, to my Christian experience? Seen in Saul of Tarsus, remember? Remember when the Ananias was going to update the Lord and the situation? Lord says, I know. He says, I've seen this man and he's praying. He's praying. And you know, that feature marked Paul's life as he continued. Look at his prayers in the epistles. His prayers in Ephesians. Reaching out beyond his personal need to the, the, the blessing of all the saints. Such was Paul's prayers. But of course, if we want to see prayer and its perfection, we must look at the Lord Jesus himself, the man of the Gospels, the man of Luke's Gospel, the dependent man. You think of him all night in prayer, the communion that not only he had with his Father, but the communion that he enjoyed with his Father. He's there as an example, a perfect example of what God looks for in dependent manhood here. And so it's a challenge to us as we take steps on our Christian journey. Do we take them as having built an altar? We don't physically build an altar like what Abraham did, but we have this prayer life, this communication with God that helps us every step of the way. What a responsibility it is. What a privilege it is. He goes and he builds the first one. He goes to the next place and he builds another altar. And if he'd be maintained in the joy of that altar and in the joy of that communion with God, I doubt that when the famine came, we didn't read about it, I doubt that when the famine came, he would have made for Egypt. But you know, like us all, we're all marked by failure. And Abraham headed to Egypt. A bad move. And sometimes we all make bad moves. But the blessing that I see 
in this move that Abram made is that he was recovered to the experience he had at the first. He went back and he renewed his communication. He renewed his dependence on his God. And so as we fail and as we stumble, let us be sure that despite our stumbling, God hasn't changed. And there's still an avenue to restore our communion, to restore our dependence on God, just as Abraham experienced here. Sadly, he might have gone to Egypt because of the famine and come back out of it unscathed. But Lot, the mark of it was left on Lot. And Lot, tragically, he was attracted to what he'd seen in Egypt. And when it came to the point of choice, rather than leaning on his God independence, he chose what would be for material prosperity. This man Abraham, the man of faith, he wasn't promised great material possessions. What did he have at the end of his life? He had a burying place, a burial ground. That's what he had. But he had the knowledge of God firmly embedded in his life, in his soul. And so, I just want to encourage each one of us young and old that this is an essential feature if I'm going to move forward in the Christian journey here there are other features of course but this need and this uh, the value of this communication and dependence on God seen so perfectly in Christ is essential if we're to move forward in the pathway of God's will. As I've said, it was seen so perfectly in the Lord Jesus. His dependence on God, dependence on the Word of God. When Satan would attack him, before he set out in his public service, what did he resort to? He resorted to God's Word. And so, these are essential features, necessary features, if we're going to be maintained pleasing to God here in our testimony. I move on because we come to Exodus 16 and the, the children of Israel are undertaking a great journey here. They've come out of Egypt triumphantly. They've sung the song of victory in the banks of the Red Sea, a tribute to the great triumph that has occurred there a triumph which the song looks forward to the blessing of the people not only in the wilderness but beyond that in the land the song also touches on God's dwelling place what a song this is and we enjoy the song of victory as we celebrate what God has done in the work of redemption in Christ and how he has secured us for himself. And God says, I'll put a test your way. And he puts a test away. Because they need water. They need to drink. And they discover that, ah, oh, the water's bitter. Now what's the answer to the bitter water? The answer is in the wood. To cast in the wood. 
you know the answer to every problem that comes up in the Christian's life is Christ that's how simple it is cast in the wood and the bitterness goes from the water or you think of the bitter experiences that we may encounter in our life here what is the answer to it? to call on Christ to refer to Christ and to find that what is bitter he can make sweet then they go on and they discover that the, the the wilderness doesn't provide the food that they had in Egypt and they begin to murmur at people this is a long journey this that they're on and so they murmur and complain the glory of Jehovah appears and what comes to pass is that God provides food for the wilderness I wonder if we've got an appetite for the food that God provides for us what a difference you know the wilderness had never seen this kind of food before came down from heaven when the dew that lay round it was gone up behold on the face of the wilderness there was something fine granular fine as whole frost on the ground children saw it and said one to another what is it have you fed on the manna today have you been on your knees before God in the building of that altar have you fed on the manna someone ever said to you what is it what is it that makes you different from the general man of the world what is it that's different something different about the man and the question is what is it in your workplace in your general life has anybody ever come up to you and said what is it that makes you different Tell me, what is it anyhow? Is there some feature of Christ that shines out? I think as we feed on the manna, our lives will become different. There'll be some feature of that blessed man who was here in lowly grace will come out in our pathway here. Forty years they were going to feed on this food, you know. The eleven day journey was possible from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea but because of their murmuring and complaining they had to face a 40 day a 40 year journey feeding on the manna think of feeding on the same food every day we would be fed up wouldn't we if it was a normal thing you know we would refuse the diet and say it's time for the change ah but this man speaks of the Lord Jesus in his humble life here. Forty years, would you be able to feed on him? Forty years, the man of the Gospels? Just think of it. We're going to be in eternity with him. Forty years. And there was another food beyond the 40 years the old corn of the land Christ again we have a privilege that the children of Israel didn't have for 40 years that's all that they had 
I'm seeing all but not in a negative sense. That's what they have to eat Christ and take Christ and his humility here. Whereas our privilege is that we can feed on the man of the gospel and his humility here, but we can also feed on the old corn of the land. Christ really is. What a privilege we have, dear brethren, that Christ in so many different facets can become food for the soul. Not that we would ever get weary of feeding on the man of the Gospels. But wouldn't it be something special to have a look at him where he is, to discover him where he is in soul experience, what he is and where he is as the old corn of the land. Literally, when the manna ceased, the old corn of the land was there on the morrow. Oh, what a God we have. What a faithful God we have. And so, these provisions are available for us in our Christian journey here. The thing is, will we avail ourselves of them? If I feed on Christ, it's been often said, you begin to grow what you feed, grow like what you feed on. If I feed on him, whether as the manna, the lowly man here, or whether as the heavenly man, surely there'll be displayed in my life some features of the man himself. So the question, what is it? What is it? I put that to each of us here. Is there something in our lives that's different from the man of the world? It's different from what is commonly accepted in the world and in it, in our lives, that is the shining out of some feature of the Lord Jesus. It's a real challenge, challenge to my own heart. What do my neighbours see in me? What do my workmates see in me? What do my classmates see in me? I think if there's this simple feeding and the acceptance of what the manna means, there will be an answer to the question, what is it? It's features of another man. The man of the world is the man who wants to get engrossed in the material things of the world. Oh dear brethren, let us just see these two features as to the altar and the man as features that are essential if we're going to be maintained heading towards the heavenly land. I think that I'm right in saying that the feeding of the old, on the old corn of the land belonged to another generation because the generation we're looking at here the carcasses were sown in the wilderness how solemn that God's provision was neglected the food that he provided and his faithfulness was neglected except for Caleb and Joshua carrying through the blessedness of that wilderness journey and the feeding on the manna with what joy they must have grasped the wonder of the old corn of the land and discovered that the same man in who was here as a wee man by the well is the same man who's enthroned in heaven in a new condition altogether.
So I commend these two thoughts to us. I've read about this psalm because, you know, life isn't just one easy path. Let's see, we're not always on the high ground. There's the valleys to encounter, you know. The valley of Bega. And looking around here, how many have encountered the veil of tears, the valley of tears. Circumstances that have brought sorrow into their lives, whether through the loss of a loved one, whether through family problems, work problems, whatever it is, there's a valley to be encountered. But just remember, that valley is in God's ordering. There's been one here who's entered the deepest valley of all. He's gone in there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a valley that blessed one went down, down into the depths of. And then this psalm shows us that God allows circumstances to come away in view of testing us, in view of searching us, in view of our growing in the knowledge of himself and being maintained on the divine highway but at the same time as God allows the situation Satan also is active seeing weakness through circumstances that have come in and he's saying I'll take advantage of this I'll divert them from the highway. Remember there was a time in the book of Judges when the roads were unused and the travellers' highways went by crooked paths. Ah, the divine highway is still open to us, dear, dear brethren. The divine highway is leading onwards to our last scripture, but it sometimes involves the veil of tears. And in that veil of tears, what's it say? They make it a wellspring. Yea, the early rain covereth it with blessings. I'm pretty sure that each one of us here have our own valley of Baker. Has it become a wellspring? Has it become a time of blessing? Out of it? You think of the sorrow that they encountered in that family in Bethany? What sorrow? Even the Lord Jesus wept as he saw the havoc that death had caused. But what came out of it? A wellspring of blessing. A great sense of blessing and uplift. And persons were established in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so I've read this small section in order that we are not diverted from the highway. In whose heart are the highways? And may we seek to divert here, divert there. Oh, let us see that what has been laid down based on the Word of God keeps us on the divine highway moving forward. And as we move forward, we grow in a knowledge of God. They go from strength to strength. Each one will appear before God in Zion. What a prospect, you know. Heading towards Zion. A veil of tears 
but an incident on the way, but a severe incident, yet it's a cause for growth, a cause for sweeter communion with God, a cause for being strengthened in the Christian's links with God. God allows these things it's to come into our lives and into a Christian experience that as well as having the avenue of prayer and the food that he's provided in Christ he tests us in our circumstances no chastening the Hebrew writer says is a matter of joy but of grief but afterwards yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those exercised by it that's a soul that's coming out of the valley of tears and growing in the knowledge of God. Ah, the chastening time, the veil of tears, and all the problems that we can look back on in our own testimonial histories. It is but a means allowed by God in view of us having a sweeter relation with himself growing in a relationship with him and reaching Zion where Zion's songs can be heard. I think it's a lovely psalm of the sons of Korah that tells its own story. You know, the sense of mercy that you fill our souls and the way that God has taken us. The way he took the children of Israel. He never rejected them. He took them the way of Exercise the way of sorrowful circumstances, but it was all in view of them, reaching his end, reaching a greater knowledge of himself. And so, as we encounter these difficulties, let us ensure that Satan doesn't use them to divert us from the divine highway. What was the word of old through the prophet? Remove not the ancient landmarks. Oh, let us see these landmarks that are based on the Word of God and let us be true to them, true to God's Word and come out of the valley experience with a fresh knowledge of God and a fresh opportunity to have part in the praises of Zion. And move on to Philippians this book is just such a lovely book. Someone has described it as an odyssey of joy. Joy at the beginning, joy in the middle, joy all the way through. In fact, when he gets to the last chapter, Paul says to these Philippians, saints, rejoice. Again I say rejoice. Written by someone in comfortable conditions. Written by a prisoner in bonds. You think of this epistle coming out of Paul's experience. Experience of bonds. And he says in chapter 1, it turned out for the furtherance of the glad tidings that my bonds have become manifest in Christ, have become manifest as being in Christ in all the Praetorium and to all others. That's what lay behind him. But in this chapter, which I think is very much in line with my own thoughts for this subject, is the journey is heading towards a goal. Often we lose sight of that goal. 
here he is in this chapter. If chapter 2 was the valley experience of the Lord going down, chapter 3 is the ascending experience. And Paul is so taken up with the glory of Christ in this chapter that he's left his bodies behind. These things that he enunciates at the beginning of the chapter. He says, I just can't withdraw. Leave them behind as measured against the excellency of the glory of Christ. He puts them all behind. No encumbrances, no hindrances as he pursues this pathway. His, his desire is to know him and the power of his resurrection. This was the same man who came down that Damascus road to threaten the Christian testimony. And here he is, looking towards the goal, heading towards the goal, and he's wanting to know him and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. How Paul knew these things, you know. You read that chapter in Second Corinthians 11. You can hardly take in the sufferings that the Apostle Paul encountered. Very bored in his body. Yes, supremely, of course, we must look at Christ as the great sufferer. But you think of Paul, and he's measured it all, and he's come now through these sufferings to aiming towards the goal, the prize of the calling. I pursue looking towards the goal for the prize of the calling and high of God in Christ Jesus. What is our goal in life, dear brethren, as we journey on? Let it be that our eyes are fixed on that wonderful moment when we shall finish the race here, when the Christian journey will be over, and we shall be with Christ in his own presence. And that we read on to the end of the chapter, not only in his presence, but as in his presence, finished with these bodies of humiliation and conformed unto his body of glory. What an objective for our hearts, and may it stir us up in the meantime, that that is the end of the journey, to be with Christ. Paul has said earlier in this letter, which is far better. Well, dear brethren, I leave these few thoughts with us. I trust that there's something in it for each one of us. Our communion with God, to have an altar, not only to pour out our needs to God, but to enjoy our God. To feed on the food that will build up the soul. To be kept on the divine highway with this great objective of Christ in glory. That's what sees possession of Paul in this chapter. Christ in glory was the pool. Christ in glory was the attraction. And it showed in his life Remember the children of Israel of old, they had to attach tassels to the corners of the garment, and to the tassel they had to add a lace of blue. Well, the lace of blue is showing in Philippians, it's showing in Paul, it's showing in these saints. Let it be that the effect of Christ in heaven also shows in our lives. And may God bless the world for his name.